Welcome to Bethel Cleveland's Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy today's message. For more information on this podcast and other resources, please go to BethelCleveland.com. How's everybody doing? Great. We do honor everyone who served in the military. That was a great video. Love that. And uh, I hope you feel that this week. I think Veterans Day is actually Wednesday, but we wanted to take today just to let you know we do know you're here. We love you and we appreciate all that you've sacrificed over the years. Hey, turn with me if you could. I'm eventually going to get to uh, Isaiah 26. I can turn to Isaiah 26. Um, I'm going to talk today about this, my last in a series I've been doing on the, the turning. And, you know, for the most part, it's been about repentance, heavily weighted on the front part of the series, which would be about five or six weeks ago, talked a lot about we're always turning in our life. We're always turning back to Jesus, and we have our focus upon him, but we know what life is like, and sometimes we drift away to either lawlessness or law, legalism or freedom, and we, we kind of find our way on the love line to Jesus. And uh, <laughs> particularly, uh, coming up to the point of this election, you know, if my people are called by name, humble themselves and pray, seek my face, turn from the wicked ways, see if I will not come and heal their nation. And so we're praying for that. And it was a turning toward the Lord. The Lord is always looking. If you read through the Old Testament, Israel is our example. And I've been... I've been in now Ezekiel and Lamentations, Jeremiah, Lamentations, and somewhat Daniel too in his past few months of my daily reading. And it's, it's plowing through eras of, of being separated from the true purposes of God. Hell and God's heart is always to restore and bring back the vision and the promise that God has for us. And our lives individually reflect that. Sometimes in our individual lives, I mean, we're, you know, Things are going well, we're focusing on the Lord, but we get, we get caught up in something. Physical illness, financial problems, relational issues, whatever it might be, can pull us out of the love line. And what I want to talk about today is about peace, because peace is meant to rule in our lives. I mean, peace is meant to guide us, and not, not only that, but protect us. I got a big echo up here, Josh, just so you know. It's meant to lead us every step of the way. And there's so many verses. I mean, when I'm preaching on peace and I pull up verses, it's like I, I, could, I could give you 100 verses easily that talk about this life of peace. But I want to read one out of Isaiah. And the reason this is important today, and I knew that I was going to speak on this for a while, because regardless of how the election goes in the United States, there's going to be many people without peace, like 45%, 50%, something like that. And so today, I mean, if you're a Biden person, you're, you're kind of at peace. You're thinking, okay, this is going to work out. But let me tell you, the, the outward circumstances cannot determine our peace because it ain't over. There could be less peace a month from now than there is now. This is a real encouraging word, isn't it? I mean, now we have a runoff in Georgia that's going to determine the Senate, who's going to have the Senate. And that's in January, I think January 13th or something, before the inauguration. And that's neck and neck. I mean, Georgia is going to be a political, difficult, 
time. And we're going to hear all about Georgia, like through Thanksgiving, through Christmas. And then we're going to celebrate New Year's thinking about Georgia, you know. Because is it, what's it going to go? Because is it better for us to have a divided government or unified government? And depending on where you're coming from, I mean, it's, there's more reasons to be distressed in our future. They were really quiet on that, wasn't it? Well, thank you. I'm glad I came today. This really helped me out, you know. But the bottom line is, if you're waiting for external circumstances to bring you the peace that you've always been looking for, or the joy, or the hope, or whatever it is, you're, you're, you're how can I say this? You're sadly misguided as a believer. You're going to be tossed back and forth by every whim and every wave that comes, and I don't know, what do we do? I was golfing yesterday when we found out that you know, they declared uh, uh, President-elect Biden the winner, and, and the guys I was golfing with, are, they were uh, pro-Trump people, and it was a distressing moment. They were like, well, what are we going to do? And I said, we're going to carry on. We're going to keep moving in the same way. My, my partner in my cart, you know, we talked about it quite a bit, and I said, you, you do everything you can do, whatever the vote goes, you vote, you pray, and then you obey. It's kind of simple. Jeremiah deals with it over and over. I bring him up all the time because he is so relevant to this moment. I'm, I'm, I'm trapped in Lamentations right now. And Lamentations means weeping, so you know it's got to be a difficult book to read. And so you're, you're plowing through weeping, you know, Jeremiah, where, where all the prophets are saying that it's going to be good, you're going to be rescued right away, everything's going to turn around, you know, not that that ever happens in our culture here, but you know, all the prophets saying that, and yet the prophet that God was using, he told a very different story and said, actually, you're going to be here for a while. And it's going to be a challenge. But here's what I'd tell you to do. Get married. So young people, single, that's what you need to do. It's right out of the Bible. Get married. Get a house. Have children. Raise children. Get the children married. Have grandchildren. Plant a vineyard, reap its fruit, and, and your peace is tied in to the city's peace. As, the, as, the, as you pray for the peace of the city, your peace will increase, regardless of whether you agree with the leadership, and Nebuchadnezzar was not somebody you could agree with. He was a difficult dude who got struck by God where he had to eat grass for what? Three and a half years, I think it was, or was it seven years? I forget. Yeah, I wouldn't want that. So that's the kind of leader he was. And God calls him Nebuchadnezzar, my servant. What? Kings are like water in the hands of the Lord. He's operating these circumstances. So in America, in other countries, you have no, there's a lot of countries you have no vote whatsoever. And so right now, you stand amidst this and say, look, I may not agree with what happened, or you may agree with what happened or whatever, and that could even turn around again. What if there's some supernatural miracle and, and Trump was deemed because of corruption? I don't you know, who knows what happened. Then you're going to be swung back and forth on this whole thing. So I align my heart by God, by grace. I'm telling you, it's, this is sometimes you have to, you have to fight for peace. Does that make sense? I mean, you've got to wrestle this thing to the ground, which is kind of like yourself, your soul, and, and learn to live in peace in the midst of times of turmoil. Otherwise, your life will be short and it will be aggravating. We're carriers of peace. 
Do you know, in the Bible, and I'm going to get to this, this passage I'm going to read here in just a minute, but in the Bible, it clearly kind of says that as spirit-led people, we have different armor that we wear. And the Lord says through Paul in Ephesians, put it on. We know what it is. I mean, you've gone through it. You know, the helmet of salvation, the breastplate of righteousness, you know. You know, and it goes through your whole body, girding up your loins with truth. And, you know, the sword of the spirit and the shield of faith, which quenches the fiery darts of the enemy, you know. Well, these things are not just little magical things you say. I claim that in Jesus' name. I've got the helmet of salvation. It's about living it. That's putting it on. You put it on through your daily living. And so when you... When you go beyond unbelief and you believe things that God has put in your heart, you have put on the shield of faith. So when the fiery darts come, faith quenches them. Oh no, you're not getting at me. Breastplate of righteousness is about knowing who you are in God. When you know, it's not a magic day. I know we do this, I do it too. You know, I put on the breastplate of righteousness. You know, and confession has great power to it. But for longevity, you live like a person who's accepted by God. When you do that, you have the breastplate of righteousness which protects your vital organs. So if you may not notice, I, miss, I, I left something out. Having your feet shod like a horse. Your feet shod with what, with what, with what? The preparation of the good news of peace. What that means is peace is mobile. Peace moves. It's not affected. It's not the environment. You actually affect the environment. It's the old thermostat versus thermometer thing. You know, you're either telling someone what the temperature is, you have no, no uh, ability to change it, or your thermometer where you're judging what the temperature of the room is. God's called people as thermostats. I'm sorry, we're thermostats who determine temperatures. We walk in peace. When you come into a room, in fact, so much so, Jesus says, when you come into a house, see if there's a man of peace there. What he's talking about is the government of the house. If there's a, a man of peace there, you can stay there. If there's not, you need to shake the dust off your feet and leave. Why does he know? It will disturb. It could threaten your peace. You want to operate in environments of peace. So literally, we are peace purveyors. We give. We carry peace. We are atmospheres of peace that we come into situations where people are squabbling. <laughs> Biden, Trump, Biden, Trump, and you're able to say, you know what? Jesus is Lord. Donkey, elephant, donkey, elephant, lamb. <laughs> Lamb of God. Vote. I mean, vote where you want to vote. I vote by my values. I vote what I believe Scripture is saying. I go with that. I do it every time. I have for 40-some years, you know. So with me, it's not a big deal. And if I lose, I lose. I've lost a lot and I've won some. It's like going to Las Vegas. And you just pray it all works out in the end, you know. So you walk with peace. But here's the cool thing. Yeah, but what would we get to a big obstacle? Finances or something like that. Well, then I love that because it's something about the feet. God says, and the God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. He calls us to walk in peace. And when something comes that's, that's going to disturb your peace, you use violent peace. <laughs> I know it's an oxymoron, isn't it? Violent peace means you have peace so strong it overcomes mountains that you face. 
So much so that you literally become imbibed into the very nature of Christ because Jesus is not just out there. He is in here. And when Jesus is in your heart, he is the prince of peace. And he rules our heart with peace if you yield to Jesus. So much so that he says, come on up with me. You've died, you've been buried, and you've been resurrected in Jesus Christ. So you've ascended above all temporal things. You sit with Jesus, according to Ephesians chapter 2, you sit with Jesus in heavenly places, making your enemies your footstool. I don't know about you, but footstools generally, I don't know that they're really needed, you know, unless you've got fluid on your legs or something like that. But you put, you put your feet up to rest. So your enemies become a place of rest. When you're going through an election dispute, you're like, I'm all right. I'm okay. How can you be okay? There's corruption. There's, there's, there's gnarly things going on. It's suspect and everything else. Uh, that's beginning to become a, a natural part of American politics, you know. So in the midst of it, we put our feet up and say, I will be at peace. When you do that, you change atmospheres. I'm not talking about being unemotional, you know. Well, I never get emotional about these things. You do, you know, inside. But, you know, you feel the storm going on inside. But, you know, Jesus is asleep in the storm. And when he gets up, what's he say? Peace. (laughs) Be still. And in one of the, the, the gospels, he turns to the disciples basically and says, oh, why didn't you do this? He says, where's your faith? I was having a good nap. You woke me up for this? And they were marveled that he had authority over the wind and the waves. What's the authority? The authority is that a man could sleep in the midst of a threatening storm. Do you not sit with Jesus in heavenly places? Can we not put up our feet and... And let our enemies be at our footstool. If we encounter something in life that we think is going to disturb our peace, we say, you know what? I'm going to overrule this by the peace of my life. Even God of of peace will crush Satan under your feet. In other words, God uses your feet, your intentions, your faith, your authority to take care of things that rob you of your peace. His intent is that you live in peace. Because his kingdom is operated that way. It says in Romans. The kingdom of God is righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit-filled people have peace all the time. I know that's extreme. I know we have moments we don't. I mean, you know, when I first moved to Canada uh, back in 86, I didn't realize that we we're going to face major ch- I mean, I, I know I, I wasn't naive. I knew that it was a different culture. I knew it was a different country. I knew all that, but I married a Canadian, so I felt like I knew, you know, what they're like. They're very peaceful, calm people, you know, and, and we got there, and we just were not well received at first. And because of it, that's putting it mildly, by the way, we're not well received. Hadn't been a new church in that area for 50 years, you know, and so, so we, you know, we went through stuff. It was difficult. There's two of us. We had to rent. The house that we found was a, was a 150-year-old house or more, I don't know, infested with squirrels. And, uh, and we're in there with our two little kids, you know, and it's just, it was rough. I mean, 
you know, one of our traditions is we used to make popcorn and cranberry strings around the Christmas tree, you know. You know, that's an old-fashioned thing that we used to do. And the squirrels got in one night and ate all the cranberries. I mean, they were in my Christmas tree. That disturbs my peace. You want a squirrel in your house? While you're upstairs sleeping, they're eating the cranberries off your tree? Got down there and there were cranberry skins laying all over the place, you know. I mean, it just, it, it was just, it was the tipping point. People don't like me. I can't find a place to meet. We only got 27 people coming to our church. How am I going to be able to feed my family? And the squirrels are eating the cranberries. I mean, it's just, it doesn't have to be a big thing. Just one more thing happens. And you don't want to be near me when it happens. Because I'm about to blow up. Well, what happened was I was driving home one day from being in the city. And I, I kind of uh, short-circuited. I, I, I couldn't remember who I was. I couldn't remember where I was going. And I couldn't remember how to drive. I'd, I'd quickly pull over to the side of the road and like my whole body was just captured. It was like, oh, what do I do? No cell phones. This is way back. No cell phones. No one to call. Side of the highway. <laughs> Cars going by, you know. <laughs> you know, get out the road, this kind of thing. I'm there and I'm like, oh. had looked up, I had double vision. Like the stress of the moment was so heavy. I know even talking about it, people are like, no, don't talk about it anymore. I'm feeling it, even stress getting in my mind. I don't know what to do. So it finally I sat there a while. I prayed in the spirit and I got a little bit of clarity. I knew how to get home. I get home, I go inside. I didn't have to say anything to Cindy. I said, I got to lay down. She immediately kicked into pastor wife mode. I got a wet rag, put it over my forehead. You know, I'm laying there on the sofa like, this is pastoring. Everyone, I want to be a pastor. That's what people say to me. I'm like, go for it, man. I know I can't stop you, so call me back in 10 years. Let me know what you're thinking. I was laying there, and I'm th- I had 22 major and minor ailments in a two-year period. I keep track of them. <laughs> you know, double vision, the whole thing. I mean, my, my index fingers and my thumbs for eight years in Canada kept breaking out, cracking, and bleeding. Bob Jones says, well, that's the apostle and the prophet. And I said, Bob, it's... It's bleeding fingers. It's, it's a problem. I Why only those two fingers? He's, well, that's your gun. Just shooting, you know. I don't know. It's, it's warfare, warfare, <laughs> whatever. My fingers get, and so, I mean, this, this is such, you don't understand. It's like the dripping of the, of the faucet in the other room. It's just over and over and over again. So I lay there on the sofa, a rag on my head. Cindy's in the kitchen cooking something up, you know. And she came in and said, why don't you watch something on, the, on television, you know. And so we got our, our, what do they call them, eight-track cassette? VCR. <laughs> yeah, VCR, that's right, VCR, VHS. We slapped it in there where the kids put their little pizzas, you know, we slapped it in there. And, uh, and, this, and this glorious service comes on that's taking place in Dallas six months prior. Someone gave us the tape, said you might enjoy this. So we watched it. You've heard me talk about it before. I mean, I'm laying there, sofa, rag on my head. You know, I don't want to open my eyes because I'm seeing double vision. I'm freaked out. My head's hurting. You know, Cindy's in the other room, periodic. She came in, she turned that thing on. She turned on a little too loud. And so I'm listening to this. And this is an excited service taking place in Dallas six months ago. And so people are like, woo, 5,000 people, you know, and they're like really going at it, you know, this multiracial worldwide ethnic group going, they're dancing and they had trumpets and they had all kinds of instruments and everything else. And I'm laying there dying on the, on the sofa. So I'm like, I don't want to hear this. You know, there's times, have you ever been so discouraged, like you really don't even want to hear from the Lord? It's like, just put me in a dark room somewhere. 
Maybe I'll emerge from it in another day, you know. And so that's where I was. And, and sure enough, and I'm saying, Sandy, Sandy. Of course, Cindy either heard me and just didn't come in or could not hear me, you know, because it's like you need to watch this, you need to see this. And she had never seen it either, but it's worshiping the trumpets. Finally, they introduce the speaker after about 10 minutes, and he comes dancing up on the stage like, oh, God's going to do something tonight, you know, this is going to be an amazing time, what a crowd. I'm laying there dying on the sofa, and he says, he says, let's prophesy to the nations. How many of you know when you're in that situation, you don't care about the nations? I'm laying there like, this is not, it's not applying to me. I'm, I went to the nations and look at me. 22 major and minor ailments. I'm laying here in a bed. Yeah, go to the nations. And so I'm feeling that, you know, but he's going for it. And, and then they pan the crowd and the crowd is, it's like this roar of prophecy. They're, they're prophesying. You can't understand what they're saying, but it's like, wah, wah, this roar of nations, nations. It goes on for three or four minutes. And finally, the speaker, who's a very charismatic guy, he takes the microphone, he goes down the second row, he holds out the microphone and says, what nation are you prophesying over? Now, this is in Dallas, Texas, six months before. What nation are you prophesying over? And he holds the mic in front of her and she says, Canada. When she said Canada, I don't know what happened, but this is honest truth. I'm laying on the sofa. I felt like lightning go up through my feet and my whole body. I jumped up off the sofa and I stood there like, woo. I mean, the Holy Spirit was just coming on me, you know. I said, Sandy, Sandy. This time she comes. She comes into the room. And we stood there together just weeping in front of this as this guy takes the microphone and he said, I speak to Canada that out of Canada will come a revival that will impact the nations of the world. Like, that's what I came up there for. I didn't know it was going to take eight years before that happened. I would have stayed down here another seven and a half years. Eight years. If you'd have told me day one, say, I know you're excited about the revival, but it's going to be eight years. I just said, well, call me when it happens, man. I'm going, to go, I'm going to go back to America. It was difficult. It was challenging. There was a price I was paying. It was, it was eating at my soul. But in that moment, the Lord restored me. And I realized the power of God. When you get off track in your mind, and sometimes this is not an instant thing. It's piece by piece, portion by portion. You lose your faith. You begin to diminish. You begin to compromise your own theology. Well, maybe God doesn't heal everyone. Maybe he's not really considered. I mean, he, maybe I'm being punished. Maybe, I, I mean, you, you have to bend your theology to fit your situation. If you're bending your theology to fit your situation, you are leaving the realm of the rule of God and the peace and the joy and the righteousness dissipates in your life. So what do you do? You learn how to walk in peace. I think a great example, I'm going to go to this verse and then show you something out of the Old Testament. And then we'll go eat chicken or something, all right? So here it is. Yeah, turn with me to, uh, oh, I wanted to do this pre-wash. I'm, I forgot. I'll, I'll, I'll do it another time. There's a whole, so many good verses I just wanted to shoot out real quick on peace. Let me throw this one out, though. How beautiful upon the mountains. This is Isaiah are the feet of him who bring good news, who proclaims peace. It says you shall go, Isaiah 55 says, you shall go out with joy and be led out with peace. And the mountains and the hills shall break forth in the singing before you. Now, I have these theories that I believe are fact, you know. <laughs> my own little world, I established my own understanding. In worship, first song or two really needs to be songs that break things off of people. They need to be songs that cause your physical body to respond. 
They need to be songs that make you want to, Isaiah 4, or uh, Psalm 149, I think, backs that up. First couple songs are meant to rouse the crowd. You've been under that dripping faucet all week long, and you've come to the service on Sunday morning, and you need something to kind of break it off of you so that you can enter into worship. It's, it's really a principle. If you look at it in Scripture, it's over and over again. There's something about praise, the high praises of God, that look at Psalm 149. It's a warfare, warfare thing that breaks stuff off of you so that you can enter fully and not be distracted in the presence of God. So those of you who are not into physical expression of worship, sometimes it's necessary. Shout for joy. Sing, O barren one. You come feeling barren, you sing your way out of it. Sometimes you sing your way out, you dance your way out, you shout your way out, but you gotta get out. And peace will come because you intentionally say, I'm going to live the life of peace in Jesus Christ. It will not be perfect, but I'm going to live that life in Jesus Christ. Okay, here in Isaiah uh, 26, it says this. I love this passage. You will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you. Have you read that verse before? It's a common verse. It's really one to... To make you feel happy. But what it has that you may not be aware of because of the way it's written, it has an iteration in it. There's a repeat in here for emphasis. So literally in the Hebrew it says this, you will keep him in peace, peace, whose mind is stayed or fixated on him. The fixation is Jesus Christ. You fixate on Jesus Christ, you will have peace, peace. In other words, it's not just Peace, it's peace, peace. And he uses the word shalom. So you will have shalom, shalom. You see the focus on it? Shalom, shalom. Doesn't happen often in the Bible. But right here in this passage it is, you will have shalom, shalom. Not just shalom, but shalom, shalom. Shalom, shalom is fullness of ease and peace in the presence of God that affects every area of your life. Shalom is not just about your mind being peaceful. In fact, you have to govern your mind to focus upon the Lord in order for the peace to fully come. When the peace comes, that peace affects his finances, it affects your relationship, your family, your job. Shalom is a complete, that's why Jews use it so much in greeting one another. Shalom. See someone to say hi, shalom. Say goodbye. Shalom, because they understand the power of peace in a person's life. As you become somebody who's not distracted by everything that's going on in the politics, pray about those things, that's all you can do. Pray about them, but if you get fixated on, if you get bound by it, you're gonna be in distress all the time, particularly every two years. You're gonna feel the tension, feel the stress. I don't think we're called to do that. I think you're called, you express opinions, you do what you want, but... Stay in peace. The intensity of this election has been out of control. It really has. I mean, I, Cindy and I kind of quit watching most news that's on, on TV and even on the internet. We kind of stayed away from as much social media as possible that was circled around these things because it, it blew up. I mean, I did a little devotional. I do a two-minute devotional, two to three minutes every morning, every weekday morning. And uh, FaceTime, uh, Facebook flagged it yesterday. And I thought, what in the world was in that? That it needed to be flagged. I said, we're going to have this stuff coming up, this tension all around us of restrictions and everything else. But in your heart, you've got to be somewhere else. Yeah. 
that somewhere else is in the kingdom and purposes of God. So what do you do? You fixate your eyes on Jesus. The answer to every problem, I said this last week, is Jesus. Your marriage, Jesus. Finances, Jesus. You say, well, what's the answer? You, you don't know yet because you've got, you, you got to look at him. You need to worship him. Be in his presence. Discover him in scripture. Take time every day to reset your soul. Reset your spirit. By just, I, I had a guy who's been a pastor for 45 years. I talked to him this week on the phone. And he told me, he said, you know what? I, I got out of rhythm of reading scripture every day. He said, you know, I studied, I prepared for my messages and everything, and of course I got in trouble or something, I'd go back to scripture, but he said, I got out of the rhythm of it. He's been in the ministry for like 45 years. And he said, you know what, just this year during the pandemic, I started focusing and disciplining myself to be in the word of God every day. He said, it changed everything about my life. I mean, it just blew the perspectives out because he was feeding. There's something, some people say our constitution is a living, active thing. <laughs> the scripture is. The scriptures does not change, but somehow it rightly applies into your life and your situation every time you read it. I joke about it all the time. My daily reading, I can almost go into my future 10 days to see what I'm going to be going through. Because the Lord's already planned it out. It's like, oh, okay, I better get ready for it, you know. Every day I get up, whatever I'm facing, I open up the scripture for that day and I look at it and start studying. I go, this is exactly what I needed today. The Holy Spirit customizes it in your heart. Why? He's bringing the rule of the kingdom of God in your heart. And that rule has righteousness, peace, and joy. Okay. Uh, let's jump down here because I'm about finished here. In, in Numbers 20, you don't have to turn there because I'm going to explain it in 1 Corinthians in a minute. Numbers 20, you have Moses and Israel have, have, been, have fled Egypt. We know the story of the Passover, the plagues, all that. They get out of Egypt. They're propelled out of Egypt. They come out with wealth and blessing. They're on their way. They come to a place where once again, things are uncomfortable and people begin to complain. They had no water. I mean, that's a legit complaint. But it's all about the trust in the Lord. Can you trust the Lord in the wilderness when there's no obvious water? And so the Lord talks to Moses. Moses is upset about the people at this point. He's very angry. And the Lord speaks to him. This is God's man. I mean, he's like the key guy in the whole country. And he speaks to him and says, if you speak to the rock, I will give you more than enough water. And so Moses goes down there and he, he stands before the people and kind of rebukes them a little bit. And he said, but I'm going to get water from the rock. And he smites the rock. He hits the rock with his rod and the water comes out. You know what the Lord says to him? Because you did it out of anger and you didn't obey what I said, you will not be able to enter into the promises of God. To Moses, he said that. And so this is this like pivotal moment in Jewish uh, journey, but in Jewish understanding, none of this is written down, but Jews do believe that there was a rock that followed them in the wilderness. That everywhere they went, They'd swear that that was the rock that was with us at the last place. And so they continue to get water from the rock. Now, it's interesting because Paul picks up on that little idiom or whatever that is in the book of Corinthians. And I want you to turn there just real, real quick. First Corinthians 10 says this, and he talks about this rock that, that Moses struck. He said, moreover brethren, moreover, brethren, I do not want you to be unaware 
that our fathers were under the cloud. All passed through the sea. All were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. All ate the same spiritual food. What Paul's saying here is, this is our heritage. We've all passed through. We've all been through the process of what the Jews did. Some of us are in bondage, and all of us were in bondage in Egypt and sin. The Lord called us out of that. He delivered us out of darkness into light. He brought us through the waters of baptism. If you haven't been water baptism, baptized, you need to get water baptized. Peter himself said, be saved and be baptized. So you need to get water baptized. It's not just a symbol or a remembrance of what Jesus did. There's a supernatural occurrence in water baptism. So you came through the sea. Then you're led through the wilderness on your way to the promises of God. Difficulties with needing food and water and everything else. But God's been with you all the way. You're learning to trust God. November 2020, learn to trust God. Yeah, but you don't know what's going on. Learn to trust God. But what if, what if Biden learned to trust God? If Trump would just learn to trust the Lord. He will supply everything you need in the moment. It says here, and all ate the same spiritual food, all drank the same spiritual drink. Okay, I get all that. It's summing up their journey through the wilderness. For they drank from that spiritual rock. Now, every Jew reading this would know what he's talking about. Oh, yeah, that's the, the rumored rock that followed the Jews, followed Israel all throughout the wilderness. For they drank from that spiritual rock that followed them, Paul says, and that rock was Christ. He is the rock of ages. So when I heard that, when I read that the other day and I've read it before, I thought, that's so powerful. I mean, the Lord is following us with full provision every step of the way. He is the Prince of Peace. We are walking in peace. We crush things with peace when we come upon it. And he's taking us to the ultimate destination in this temporal realm is to rest in peace. R.I.P. Rest in peace. We're all going there. Do you want that to be the ultimate peace in your life? <laughs> or do you want to draw from the peace of God that's available to us through the Prince of Peace right now in our lives? So we're going to pray for you here. Uh, Jay's coming up, I think, and we're going to pray and just, just believe God for a, a refreshing, a renewal of the peace that's in our hearts that no matter what happens over these next few months, pandemic, uh, inoculations, uh, riots in the street, unrest, civil war. What are, what are this coming in the future? We can rightly align ourselves into the purposes of God that we may walk through this thing as somebody who's bringing peace everywhere we go. Let's all stand together if we could.